Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Kyle. And we, we have, have issues. Well, Kyle, today we have a really exciting guest, an, an old friend of mine. I don't know why I'm claiming as a friend, but uh, Steve Schleicher's on the show today. Yeah, I. this will be my first chance to talk to Steve. Um, but I know you, you're having been a county commissioner, you have a history there. And... Listen, Steve is one of, he uh, doesn't come across this way, uh, but he's actually one of the brightest people I know. Um, he's a, a pretty smart guy. In fact, I, you know, I kind of refer to him as the Dwight David Eisenhower of our time. <laughs> I, I had not heard that from anybody else, but that's good to know. Well, Steve keeps telling me <laughs> that that's who he is. And so, you know, I've always uh, uh, appreciated that about him uh, for the last like 20 minutes now. So as he's told me, that's the way he wants to be introduced from now on. Uh, but uh, a, a great guy, you know, incredibly knowledgeable about all things that happen at the county. And I actually heard a couple of things. Number one, if you uh, if you still want to complain about your assessment on your house, he'll still take those calls because he's used to doing that. That's good to know. Yeah. I, and we have his number that if anybody emails the podcast, we can share that. A absolutely. And we'll, we'll put that up on the Facebook site. And, and two, this is the other claim to fame that I know about Steve Schlaker. He's the only guy that uses his high school yearbook photo on his official web page uh, running for office. <laughs> Well, I, the way I look now, I should probably go back and do that. That's probably not a bad idea. Um, but no, I'm, I'm excited for today's topic. It's kind of a, a little bit of a political nerd topic in a way, but uh, the redistricting on the county commission uh, is something that they recently finished. And so I'm kind of uh, interested to hear what the process was like. Well, and, and with that, we have the right political nerd to talk about it because he can also do it in an entertaining way as well. So with that, good. Well, Steve, what have you been at it? About a year and a half as the new clerk and recorder. You'd been the assessor before for eight years in El Paso County. So I, I get that you understand local government pretty well, but it's got to be a really daunting task uh, coming in to a new job and having one of your very first things be something as important as commissioner redistricting. Yeah. You know, and Mark, it absolutely. I mean, we began that as soon as I got into office. Um, and one of the things that made things difficult and new was a new house bill that was passed by the state legislature back in 2021, which was 1047. So it was a brand new thing, and it only applied to several counties here in the state of Colorado, which El Paso was one of them. Was it all the counties or just like some of the larger counties? It's uh, the larger counties. So anybody that has five commissioners, um, however, which would be Weld County, Arapahoe, and of course El Paso, but Weld County being home rule opted out of it. So even if a county only has three seats, but they're districts, they, were, they didn't have to do it? No, not at all, Kyle. Oh, interesting. Yep. So this was kind of targeting specifically those large counties that have five commissioners to include El Paso County. Mark, no doubt in my mind. What, what was the purpose of the bill? You know, one of the things, the purpose of the bill is they sit there and they wanted to sit there and try to add more transparency um, to the redistricting process, which I believe it did not do. Um, you know, they also spoke about gerrymandering and, you know, and you go through the history of how... Uh, the districts have been made up and things like that. But what I think they were following was um, X and Y, you know, how we did the um, 
the congressionals and all that stuff is to follow the same suit. But again, it only applied to two counties here in the state of Colorado, which was Arapahoe and El Paso. Interesting. I, I, I guess I, I, in the reading that I did on it, I didn't, and I didn't get it that it was just two counties. Yeah. Well, and it seems to me, you know, the issue is, um, you know, in the, in the state of Colorado, obviously, uh, we've gone, uh, you know, fairly blue, right? Yep. Uh, all of our statewide offices are Slid held by right, Democrats. Right past um, purple. Yeah, we, um, you know, almost super majorities. Well, I think there is a super majority in the state house, almost a super majority in the state senate, and you know, the one area Democrats haven't been able to be successful is in that local government, uh, and specifically with uh, commissioners across the state of Colorado. Right. You know, it, going through the process, and I mean, Mark, we had my office put together over 30 different maps. That is something that's never, ever been done, you know, as far as a redistricting process. And, you know, I would go around and I would sit there and tell jokes is we actually had less maps for the invasion of Normandy than we did for the El Paso County <laughs> Commission redistricting. Wow. So, so you did, you did 30 maps, but in this, with this bill, the public was allowed to submit any map they wanted to as well. So how many did you get from the public to go with your 30? So Kyle, that is a great question. Seven. And out of that, it basically were several versions from the same individuals that were submitting them. You so, know, and, and I guess before we get too far into it, we should explain to our listeners exactly what commissioner redistricting is yeah. and is all about. I guess we're sitting here kind of talking about it like, Good um, call. you Good know, call. we know the process. See, we're still learning, Steve, yep. as we're putting this podcast together. So, <laughs> you know, help us understand what commissioner redistricting is all about. Well, it's something that your clerk and recorder office historically has done after every census. And so we just had a census done in 2020. And then you have a statutory time frame where you have to do the commission redistricting, you know, because of population growth, things like that, the change in census data. And by commissioners, we're talking about the five county commissioners in right. El Paso County. And the way El Paso County does it is by district. Absolutely. Right? So it's it's a group of people within the county that vote for each commissioner within the district. There are no at-large seats. It's all five are separated by districts. Yep. We have five commissioner seats that are broken down um, and they represent different areas of El Paso County. You know, where you're sitting here looking at uh, District 4 is predominantly down there in uh, Security, Widefield, Fountain, down in that area. District 3, west side of I-25. District 1, up north, you know, uh, Northgate, Interquest, Briargate area. But it's broken down into five different seats that are elected by the citizens. So how in the past then, you've had to do this every 10 years, say the county clerk's office done this, has done this in the past. What was the process? Was Were all the maps originally laid out by the county clerk and then the commissioners approved one or what was the process? So Kyle, you're absolutely right. So historically, it was the clerk and recorder's office that put the maps together, presented them to the public presented them to the Board of County Commissioners, and based on the information from the clerk is the Board of County Commissioners would go ahead and, you know, vote on one. But it also allowed public input and things like that. But what 1047 did is now you have to um, have a commission, and that commission then basically says, all right, we want these individuals to work on this. What was very difficult about this is per the, the House bill is the commissioner's had the right to name themselves as the commission where they would be voting on the new map. 
But they also sat there and said, you know what, we're going to have staff do the GIS work, basically look at the, you know, Voter Right Act to look at, you know, um, the the equality of neighborhoods, just, you know, the dynamics going into um, the redistricting process. But what was strange about it is the individuals in my office, to include myself, we were walled off. We could have no conversations with the public. We could have no conversations in regards with the commissioners, um, with, you know, folks, the citizens, um, county employees. We were completely walled off per this house. Bill. Not even at the public meetings? We couldn't even speak to folks at the public meetings. They would basically come up and well, ask not, questions. Not separate of the hearing. I mean, yeah. obviously right. they speak during the hearing. Right. So, yeah. if you know, and there were times it was really something rough. Um, to understand, folks would come up and ask questions of the clerk and recorder's office, even myself, and we couldn't answer it. We're yeah. like, it, it, it was it was something, and and Mark knows me extremely well. Is and, and I wish I didn't, but I do. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I'm taking that twenty back. <laughs> so, but you know, it's it's one of those things where I feel education. You know, explaining the process. Um, getting out there in the public and having telling somebody I can't talk to you is something totally against the grain of Steve Schleicher. So you were in charge of the project, but not allowed to talk to people or who was the project manager or whatever? What person was? That was the commissioners. They named themselves the commission and then they asked the clerk and recorder's office to sit there and do all the studies behind the maps that were being directed and things like that. It was just a very strange uh, process very inefficient, not effective whatsoever. Uh, the inefficiencies led to uh, a lot of anxiety, angst amongst our uh, major parties here in El Paso County, where one well, and, of, and anger, and, even. well, absolutely, yeah. Mark. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, it's really what it came down to is when we're sitting here presenting, say, four to five maps, either citizens' maps that have been that were provided online or at the direction of the commission, is we could not upload that to the public website or even present it until an hour before the meeting. So I'm sitting here going, how in the world are these folks, you know, retaining that information, making an informed decision to make public comment? It was very, very frustrating. So I'm going to be working this year to do some amendments on this bill because that stuff should be out there 24, 48 hours in advance for the community to research this stuff, to review it, to make an informed decision and comments at a public meeting. But that didn't happen. So, and, and I'll tell you, you know, in full transparency, uh, I actually participated in this process the last time it was done, but before this piece of legislation had passed. Yeah. Um, you know, as a, a county commissioner from District 2, the one you failed to mention, Steve, I noticed that <laughs> earlier, the best district out there. Um but, but, you know, the way it worked in the past, and, and by the way, it, it doesn't necessarily happen every 10 years. It can happen every two years or yep. three years, but it has to happen after a census is done as well. And so we would adjust the maps. I mean, we did it once in my four and a half years on the county commission, but it had been done a couple of years before I got there. Uh, and, and, and the way it kind of worked is the clerk and recorder, you know, comes up with some maps. You're required to have public meetings. You know, you might have a discussion with the clerk and recorder ahead of time. And it was... It was um, it was small tweaks, yeah. you know, move a precinct here, a precinct there, an adjustment here, an adjustment there. And of course, you have all this uh, statutory and constitutional criteria that you have to uh, adhere to or that you have to consider as you're 
creating these maps and you know you like you have to keep communities of interest together you have to um you know you're not allowed to break up minority populations you know things of yeah. that nature right you're just you know that's that's stuff that's that's already in the law that you can't do but this piece of legislation kind of took all of that you know a significant step further so it, it, even before was the 5% from largest to smallest district rule in play then too? Or is that, was that new this year? Did that factor in? No, I think that's always been a, okay. a guideline as far okay. as, you know, being on that 5%. Um, you know, really also looking at is the three factors we really, you know, took a look at political competitiveness, uh, you know, uh, if, if things are together um, where you're looking at compactness, neighborhoods, you know, as far as if the district is compact, the Voter Right Act, I mean, we really, really dove down to each and every map of how many white Caucasians are now out of this district and going into another district. But what ended up happening was a number of precincts moved from different areas and folks are out there going, OK, am I no longer in Commissioner District 2? You're welcome, Matt. So you're welcome there, Mark. But um, but you're sitting there going, no, you're no longer in Commissioner District 2. You're now in Commissioner District 1. So there's some confusion. And, you know, right now I'm out there visiting with the parties, dropping maps off for free, doing that stuff. Because, you know, we got caucus coming up and, you know, a number of different things. And folks are going to be confused. And now the parties are trying to fill holes because those precinct folks – are no longer a leader within that precinct. Well, so. and and um, so in the last election cycle, so there are two of these that are in one election cycle and three, three that are in the other. So in the last election cycle, it was one and five, right, that were up for election. Yep. And then in this upcoming one, two, three, and four will be in the same cycle. And so we could have this circumstance where a precinct gets moved from two, three, or four to one in five, and now they become a disenfranchised voter because they've not been able to vote for a county commissioner for yep. four years. Yeah. Mark, that was a, I tell you what, that came up very early on in this process. And we were sitting here, you know, using the term starved voters. And a lot of folks really didn't care. And it really said a lot about this where folks were going, I don't care if people don't vote for four to six years for a county commissioner. <laughs> but I'm just sitting here going, really, because I would do the hand calculations when we look at, you know, the total population and also the number of registered voters within there. And when you sit there, like you said, you're moving folks from uh, commissioner district one or five to either two, three or four, you're disenfranchising them. But we were using that term and there was folks that were like, well, that's not a part of the process. We don't want that study. And, and so in, in the old days, again, it was um, a couple of public meetings uh, that were required. You know, the clerk and recorder might talk to the county commissioners ahead of time. This is what I'm thinking. Um, and this is, you know, why I want to do what I uh, uh, I think is right for the community. You know, uh, and in my day, that was Chuck Borman was the clerk and recorder. And he was always very uh, cognizant of making sure he wasn't disenfranchising voters and yep. just making you know, small changes, just stuff around the periphery, because he didn't want to be accused of, you know, any sort of partisan activity as a clerk and recorder, because it's not really a partisan yep. uh, job. Um, but so so what was the process now with this new piece of legislation in place? Mark, way different. <laughs> Absolutely way different. I mean, you're sitting here looking we, we at... we still got 30 minutes to fill here, yeah, Steve, so yeah. more than way <laughs> so, different here. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, okay. <laughs> 
what you're looking at is we had to have a host over 10 public meetings, you know, where we sit there and we had to advertise it and things like that. We went to five different locations throughout the community, which was each, we held public meetings in each commissioner district, um, opened up schools, you know, just a number of different areas to go to. And, you know, and what got to me is it takes a lot of resources to set this stuff up at these meetings when you're working remotely. And sadly, you're looking at maybe 10 people that show up. And my guess is five of those go to every one of them. Yeah. Not, it's not 10 different neighborhoods showing up. It's absolutely. It it was the same faces throughout the whole entire process. I I mean, I just went to heckle Steve. That's why I was. This is why this face is made for radio, not TV, Mark. (laughs) But, you know, the other thing is you have to set up a public website. Anything communicated about redistricting had to be on the public website. So if you wanted to sit there and ask a question, it had to go on the public website to be answered. You know, you just could not no longer send an email, you know, to the clerk and recorder or to your county commissioner. Everything had to be posted um, on the website for transparency. Um, any maps, everything that was done had to be, you know, posted on to this public website. But the biggest things were some of these meetings went till nine, 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, and just basically looking at the whole entire folks having different opinions of the makeup of El Paso County, folks have many different opinions in regards to, you know, District 3 should not include Monument or Palmer Lake. And I listened to a podcast. You guys were talking about the WUI, yeah. you know, the Wildland Urban Interface. And for those of us that live on the west side, we know what that's about. Yeah. And so to me, that is an element of interest for many folks that live on the west west side, Peregrine, Rock Rim, and Old West Side. You know, Fires. That's what we're sitting there looking at. And now they're passing legislation in regards to if you build on the west side, it's going to cost you a bit more to meet current code than it is if you build out in Falcon. But folks that, you know, like the WUI has nothing to do with us. So, you know, their whole entire thing is you should be able to walk from within your commissioner district. You shouldn't have to get on the highway or things like that. Um, and but not understanding is El Paso County is very unique in many different ways. They want us to draw maps first based off school districts. And one of the things that makes El Paso County the most unique county in, in the state of Colorado is we got 17 different school districts. I, was say I mean, Kyle, I'm sitting here going, how are we going to do this? Um, there was no way to absolutely do it. We're like, hey, let's use District 11 as a boundary for, you know, Commissioner District 5 or District 49 for Commissioner District 2. It's nearly impossible when you have 17 different school districts. Um, then we started going to look at, well, hey, let's go ahead and put the municipalities, use their boundaries to put them in with different areas. That's a challenge as well. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, though, El Paso County, beyond having – a number of different municipalities, fire districts, school districts, is we have a huge demographic that is very diverse. And the fact is, folks, they forget we got half a million acres out east that, you know, basically is agricultural land. And these are folks that are going, I don't want the city life. 
they completely different. So their interests are very different from those that are living on the west side of Colorado Springs. But the population density makes it hard to get them in, to not lump them in with a Absolutely. city somewhere because you can't get to the numbers. Well, and Kyle, that's just it. When you sit there and you take a look at the growth, and I mean, Mark, you know this, is most of the growth we're seeing down there still in Fountain, Fort Carson area. Um, out in Falcon is building east, and now we're seeing, a, well, we've been seeing a lot of growth on northeast, you know, right along Baptist Road and yeah. going all the way out. Well, and to, and to give an idea of scope and scale, how, how many people live in El Paso County, roughly? Uh, we got over 760,000. Right. We're the most populous county in the state of Colorado. And so you, what, you divide that by five. I'm, you know, terrible at math as an attorney. 150,000, yeah, give roughly. or take, yep. roughly. Yeah, yep. 150,000 people per commissioner district. It is hard to find 150,000 people that are uniquely situated in, in every way, yeah, right? Exactly. Or a community of interest in every way. Yep. Well, football season's coming around the corner. Baseball season's wrapping up. And even in your own neighborhood, you're seeing Cubs flags. Sorry, Mark. I, I don't think there are 150,000 <laughs> Cubs fans in my district, but probably it's close. Yeah. But, you know, you, but you know, when you're sitting there looking at common interest, you know, not everybody's a Bronco fan. You know, you're going down there going, seriously, you're, you're rooting for the, the Cowboys and all this stuff. But, yeah, it, it was it was a challenge. But I will tell you is – um, I made a public comment to the commission is we need to put some amendments on this bill because as fast as El Paso County is growing, it would not surprise me that we have to sit there and take a look at redistricting here in a handful of years um, because when we're sitting there going up by one and a half, two percent each year, that's pretty significant. So you so the rule is if the population gaps get too wide, you don't have to wait 10 years for no. the next census. You knock it out right then. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Well, and what that also leads to is you get into reprecinging and all kinds of things. Um, but as fast as we are growing, it's just going to be one of those things where we probably have to sit there and look at redistricting again. So you might move some precincts and some people might go another four years without getting to vote for a county yeah. commissioner. Yep. And, and to me, that should be something that you look at is because – that is a major thing is when you disenfranchise a voter going, well, I don't get to vote for county commissioner, my rep local representative for four or six years. That's pretty significant. So, Mark, you were talking early about when you were doing it, some of the criteria that you have to play. And, and in, in what I've read, it seems like a lot of that criteria is still in play here, keeping communities together, those types of things. Do did the law specify the rank order that you consider those things by, or does each county decide for themselves what's going to have priority over a different criteria? You know, it, it, there is not a law that dictates how you prioritize, you know, the three different things that you sit there and look at for redistricting. And it just, re, it, you know, it comes down to the commission. There was three constant you know, things that we are looking at, which was uh, racial ethnicity in the Voter Right Act, uh, political competitiveness. And we studied nonstop a handful of races. We pulled federal races. We pulled uh, countywide races. We pulled statewide races. And we looked at the competitiveness of, of that. The other thing is, is also— well, and, and hang, hang on. I want to make sure I understand this correctly. But competitiveness, political competitiveness is not a criteria— um, or was not, you know, it's not one of the, um, you know, like constitutional criteria set yeah. forward by the right. Supreme Court. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if yeah. that were the case, uh, you know, there'd be 
states and you know districts uh, across the state. You just couldn't get there, right? Yeah, right. So you know, we actually looked at the political competitiveness, and also you know, looking at um, neighborhoods of interest and things like that. But the political competitiveness piece is you don't want to sit there and take a district that's let's say is plus five Republican historically, and completely you know change that up to plus three Democrat. So you know those are things that we are working at. Is when you sit there and you change these maps. How is it changing the political competitiveness of that district? So for we all know that Monument, Palmer Lake, I mean, it's pretty red up there. Falcon is pretty red. But when you start changing things where now you're looking at District 2, which is a pretty conservative voting district, and flipping that to, to Democrat, you did not do the due process yeah. well, of and, the redistricting. You know, and that, that sort of brings up a question I wanted to ask a little bit earlier, which is, you know, you're talking about all these the criteria that are required to to actually look at, and you know people come in and they talk about, you know, keeping my neighborhood whole. Monument should be, you know, all together. Monument should be broken up. Well, whatever. How much of the discussion was about um, political advantages and drawing these lines based on, you know, making a district more Republican or less Republican or more. Uh, you know, given a uh, Democrat an opportunity to win. I mean, guys, I guess in full disclosure, you know, it's been about 50 years since a uh, Democrat has been elected to the El Paso County Commission. So how, how much of the discussion was about, hey, let's give the Democrats a chance here? A lot. Um, which, and again, which is not a criteria yeah. exactly. that you should actually be looking at. Well, Mark, and, it, and all five county commissioners are Republicans. Yep. Yep. And so, just the fact that they had that conversation is encouraging. I yep. mean, it's well, nice to see from a in Kyle and Mark. I'll tell you, friendly politics standpoint. <laughs> every every public meeting we had, and there was a lot of comments online as well, in which I I I believe um, there was over a hundred online comments. Which you know, you sit there and you look at it when you're talking about the most populous county. You know, in the state of Colorado, it's not much that was put as far as on the public website. But the comments were consistently is there has not been a Democrat elected to county commission for over 50 years. And it was a comment that just consistently was at every single meeting. Well, you know, and my, my, my response to that is, well, geez, we've only had one Republican governor in like the last 70 years. What are we going to do about that? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. th those are comments that were being discussed amongst groups that were showing up to these meetings and things like that. But to answer your question, Mark, it, it was a lot, you know, where folks looked at the political competitiveness. They wanted to sit there and say, you know what, we want two districts. But the concern that I got is, you know what, again, we go back looking at the term of gerrymandering. And when you start gerrymandering a map to to, to meet the needs of a certain party or anything like that, that's, I think, that's what this bill attempted to do. Was, was prevent that. Was from... prevent that. However, there was a lot of discussions going, we want to be competitive in this district, and we want lines drawn specifically to be competitive in this district. The So the way it stands now with the new districts, the and I, I'm sure I got my numbers messed up, but Four or five is now leaning Democrat if you take the makeup of the voters and their registered parties. 
There's one other district that's now basically break even. That would be Commissioner District Three, which three. Is the, that's the okay. Yep. Yeah, the West Side. The, the West Side that, three and. Yep. And then District One, I think, is the one that still has the widest margin for Republicans. Where do the other two fall? I, I assume they still lean Republican, but. Are they so two and four, which two is going to be out there on your eastern plains, which include, yeah. you know, Falcon, Ellicott, Calhan. So get all of north and east. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's pretty right now looking at the, you know, the data that we've been studying for months is that is double digit leaning Republican yeah. in District One and District Two. Uh District Four is still Republican. We have a lot of military um folks down there. But what what is unique about this, though, Kyle, is and what confused a lot of folks is folks were sitting there looking at the numbers of voting age. We had to use total population where that messed a lot of people up was Air Force Academy and Fort Carson, which are precincted. But a lot of those folks don't vote in El Paso County. They are registered voters in their hometown, but we have to include them in this data as total population. Yeah, so like the- okay, so when the voting numbers like this November, yeah, when you look at the numbers by district, at least one or more of the districts is probably going to have lower voter turnout simply for that reason. Absolutely. So we were sitting there talking about all right, Fort Carson has a lot of folks yeah. that live on there, but Fort Carson is very different than Air Force Academy, which you know you have students there they vote in. Wyoming, Massachusetts, where you know wherever they come from, and you know those of us that served in the military, I never voted in the state that I resided in, where I stationed at. I always voted in the state of Colorado, because you move around so much. Absolutely, right? yeah. Mark. You, know, you you keep that connection to your home of record. But that was very confusing to a lot of folks that participated in this process. Was we're not using voting age people are actually you know they they. Hey, we actually have some our skin in the game here. No, we're using total population. Yeah, not registered voters, total right. population. So you're using total population and still trying to make competitiveness, but that's based on registered voters. Correct. Fun. Which makes it, was, it difficult to do. It was it was very <laughs> difficult. I'll tell you, there was some long weekends. And I you know what, guys, I will tell you, I have to applaud the elections department. Is Hands down, the best in the state. These folks did not take a day off because when we were sitting there having two public meetings a week, we we're sometimes putting five to six maps together in a matter of 24 to 48 hours, which meant we had to sit there and look at racial ethnicity, the Voter Right Act, you know, uh, communities of interest, political competitiveness. And it took a lot of studies to do that and put that data together. And they were working late at night, uh, weekends to meet this stuff. But like I shared with you, I felt it was wasted work and information because we couldn't put it out there in a timely fashion for people to actually study this. Well, and ultimately, you know, there were uh, obviously new maps were adopted. um, And I suppose if somebody's unhappy, they can challenge those maps with the court to say, you know, you didn't consider the things that the court has said you're supposed to consider. But ultimately, how, how much of an impact did the public have in the map drawing process? Um, I would say when it came down to the Southeast Colorado Springs, they had a major impact. Um, they really focused on the Southeast as a community of interest, you know, taking a look at, 
you know, East Barrel, South Barrel, you know, the communities are, that are south of Platte Avenue, east of I-25 as a community of interest. They had a significant say at that where they identified 30 precincts specifically going, this is the Southeast Colorado Springs. Even though that is not defined on a map or anything like that, those of us that have lived here for a long time are going, that's just, we know that's the Southeast. Um, and you kept all 30 of those together we in the kept, final maps. Yeah. Yep. Those are all uh, kept them together as a community of interest on the map and stuff like that. But I will t say the public had a large input on that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, been an incredible process. I know. I mean, I, I think this thing, this whole process started, what, um, about a year ago? I mean, when did the public meetings start? We started kicking off having discussions about it, Mark, probably back in April. So, you know, I, I will still unpack in the box because, you know. So not, not April of this year, April of the year before. Uh, not no, April, April of 23. Oh, April yep. of 23. Okay. Yep, absolutely. So it was April of uh, 2023. Um, you know, when the voters voted me as clerk, I knew that was one of the very first things. And I moved everything from the assessor's office to the clerk's office in a trash can. And <laughs> that is no joke. It was a wheeled trash can. But I just, un, you know unburied stuff and we started hitting it, but we looked at 1047 going, how are we going to comply with this? What do we need to do? And of course, you know, you bring in all the county attorneys and things like that. So just to ensure that we're crossing the T's, dotting the I's and making sure we're following the bill. But through the whole entire process, there was frustrations by myself, frustrations by my staff, the commission, and also the citizens and, you know, I'm going to work with the legislature this year to sit there and say, you know, we, we need some amendments. And the sad thing is, is really, who's this? It's going to be a lot of work, but there's only two counties that really did it this year, and it was Arapahoe and El Paso County. And Arapahoe really didn't have any citizen turnout on their side, um, nowhere near what we had. So now, again, I probably missed this earlier. Why didn't the other five commissioner counties go through it or have to go through it? So one of the things um, is in Weld County, their home rule, and they basically were like, I'm okay. not, I'm not the, doing it. The, the county's home rule? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so Kyle, you know, they made the decision, the commissioner's up there going, we're not going to follow this bill, so we're going to continue doing what we've done in years past, and that's exactly what their clerk did. And there, there are some uh, discussions about the uh, – <laughs> The uh, efficacy of them being able to call themselves a home rule county because yeah, that yeah, really doesn't statutorily I'm, I'm exist gonna in say, Colorado. I've, I've never heard of that um, before, so yeah, I'm, well, that is kind of fascinating. It's, it's one of those things. They identify as a home, <laughs> home rule county, <laughs> yeah. and so they are a home rule county. But, but I think that in and of itself um, is, is an issue that may be litigated at some point in the future. Yep. Um, and then they may be forced to participate in this process as well. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, it, it, I'll tell you, it was a huge celebration when the commission finally said that we're going to adopt this map. And we all walked out of there. And like I said, is when we did over 30 maps, you know, the joke was, you know, they only had five for the, you know, invasion of Normandy. You had Utah Beach, you mm -hmm. know, you had Omaha and things like that. But, yeah. Well, and I, I mean, it's just a given. You, somebody's going to come out of it not feeling great in the public. So, I, I mean, it's almost like the better goal is rather than make everybody happy, just keep everybody equally pissed off. Yeah. 
Well, I, I think the ultimate takeaway here is Steve Schleicher saying he's the Dwight David Eisenhower of our time. Oh, <laughs> he's referring to these, uh, you know, these maps. maps of, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's, yeah. That's what he's trying to liken himself to. Yeah. She, she got the look. I Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you that. Oh, well, I, I go. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> but I will tell you, Kyle, is believe it or not, um, after everything was said and done, and, you know, the shredded paper, you know, fell, fell to the ground is I believe both parties, you know, the major parties, the Democrats and Republicans were happy with the results. I, I would I would have to believe the Democratic Party is happy with the results if they have one district leaning their way. And again, with none ever having been elected in 50 years yep. and another district break even breaking even in theory, you could see two Democrats elected to the county commission fairly soon. Yep. Sure. But I, I think the question becomes this, you know, was that going to happen as a result of demographic changes anyway uh, in the county? I know that, you know, District 3 was starting to, you know, move more uh, Democratic over time, as was District 5. So at the end of the day, after all of this happened, you know, the countless hours of, um, you know, uh, uh, employee time, staff time that goes into this, did we have a better process than in years past? And did we actually produce the best product we could have produced? Absolutely not. Um, taking a look at how we did things in years past, it was far more efficient. Um, you know, and to me, there was a lot of public input as well. And you're, Mark, you're absolutely right. When you're sitting here talking about, even if we didn't touch anything, is as I shared, is when we looked at political competitiveness, is we looked at my race, the countywide race, and we also looked at Sheriff Joel Royball's race. And when you're looking at doing those numbers, the split between Republicans and Democrats in each one of those commissioner districts was pretty close. So, you know, when you're sitting here making some major moves and you're moving over 80 precincts and things like that, um, you already had those two districts that were pretty competitive already. So here's not having been involved in county government or ever been elected to anything is one thing that seems odd from where I am is that the people making the decision are deciding their own district boundaries, which seems a little odd in that what wouldn't a better process be like a bipartisan commission commission or committee that makes the recommendations and the people who are affected by it aren't the ones actually making the decisions? Kyle, that came up quite a bit in regards to the optics of the commissioners naming themselves the commission. Okay. And not having a bipartisan commission. Okay, so it's in the law that they could have appointed. A abs okay. Absolutely. Okay. And so, you know, in talking to former state senator Pete Lee, who's the one that wrote the law— yeah is, you know, I just wanted to sit there and, and find out the reasoning behind it. And he shared the reason why he changed that to allow the commissioners name themselves the commission he, because he didn't think he would get bipartisan support. So he took he himself took it out okay. and allowed the commissioners to, you know, assign themselves as the commission. Um, well, in, in, I got a little more... Uh, sinister of an approach to this, having been a former state legislator and a former county commissioner, you know, my guess is they're thinking Arapahoe County, that's got a lot of Democrats on that county commission right now. 
Um, we don't want to give Republicans maybe a chance to, you know, wrestle back a little bit of control there. Um, plus, you know, in, 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 you know, we want to give we want to make El Paso County a little bit more competitive, but we want to maintain our advantage in Arapahoe <laughs> County. I mean, that's just kind of how this whole redistricting stuff goes. And yeah. it, it doesn't matter if it's commissioner redistricting, congressional uh, redistricting or reapportionment for state legislators. Um, it, it's it, as hard or as much as we would like to take the politics out of that. It's next to impossible yep. to do. I mean, even in the the old way of doing things where the chief justice of the state Supreme Court got four picks, you know, the most picks of anybody uh, on the reapportionment commission, politics still got into that. I mean, aren't we advanced enough technology-wise that there's you could create a computer program that could draw the districts using all those criteria and take the politics out of it? Oh, AI over oh, here. That's yeah. uh, what Kyle wants AI to take over. Next thing you know, Kyle will be doing our podcast for us too. Yeah. As long as we still get paid the same. <laughs> Which isn't well. I'm going to talk to the boss about that. Well, you know, when you sit there and you put these online tools out there, which we did, we put a mapping platform out, you know, for everybody to use. And Kyle, believe it or not, your comment is not pretty far off because in that mapping platform, once you moved a precinct, the, the, basically the, the software and the program automatically updated your total population, automatically updated your racial ethnicity of how that's affecting the different, you know, um, racial classes within that commissioner district. But all of that was updated within a table going, okay, are you within the variation of plus or minus 5%? Yeah. So the whole thing was really just people Very were just, similar to that. Yeah. yeah, very similar. Just people were just sitting there going, all right, let me go ahead and copy this precinct and drop it here and see what that does. And and there was a lot of that. Um, there was folks that just didn't understand as well, Mark. Um, splitting precincts is not a good thing. And, you know, and trying getting people to sit there and not do that and how that would have an effect where they were splitting uh, precincts in a neighborhood. So my across the street. I didn't know, even think that was allowed. Yeah. I, so, well, and, and that, that's particularly um, a significant issue in Colorado yeah. because of the caucus process that we have. You yep. know, so many of um, our candidates' access to the primary election ballot comes through that precinct process. And, and that was one of the things because we are getting ready to st- – my office is getting ready to gear up to do four elections. It's going to be back to back to back where, you know, we got um, one that's coming up in this November and, you know, with the school districts and we have a lot of, you know, um, districts for school board members or asking for mill levy overrides or Tabor and leading all the way down to the 2024 general election. So, but when you start messing with precincts, it really messes things up. And can, you know, put a hamper on our parties that are out there doing caucus and all that. Now, if we sold Palmer Lake to Douglas County, <laughs> would would that make it a little bit easier? <laughs> <laughs> hey, and I'm, I'm only saying I know a new resident yeah, up there. <laughs> please, that's, that's... don't don't write letters. It's only because Mark lives in Palmer Lake. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, he's, he's like, my property values have been going down since I've been up here. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, although Steve keeps telling me they're going up yeah. Uh, yeah. and charging me more from a tax. <laughs> well, at least you don't have that burden anymore. No, uh, no. As the assessor, huh? No, you know, it's uh, that was a pretty rough one for our new assessor. So did your voicemail change to say, call him? You know, my phone, <laughs> as soon as our assessor's office dropped NOVs, my phone was ringing and my staff were going, aren't you the clerk and recorder now? I, <laughs> so. I think I saw him wearing a sandwich board outside <laughs> one day that says, don't blame me, call Fletcher. Because yeah. uh, he was ready to be done with that burden. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it, it was something else. But, you know, it, again, I'm enjoying myself, guys. You know, being clerk and recorder is something completely different um, as assessor. But, you know, the things that I, I shared with the community – Gents, I'm changing up a lot of things. One of which is, as I just got approved, is we're changing out all the ballot box and election cameras where folks now, it's like we're going to put those videos and embed them on the website. So instead of people doing core requests, watch it. You know, you can sit here and see what's going on and um, just a number of different things that we are changing dramatically in the clerk's office. Nice. Yeah. Well, I, I think that about brings us to the end here. Yeah. Um, so, Ike, I mean, Steve, <laughs> is there anything uh, that uh, we didn't cover that we should have? No, you know, it, Mark, I'll tell you this. Is, as you probably sat there and saw as well, this is a bill that needs to change. Um, it's absolutely ineffective, inefficient, and it's not fair to the citizens, to the commission, or anybody else involved in the redistricting process. Um, but again, it, we got things done, extremely transparent, putting things out there, but it, again, many things need to change with this bill. Good. Well, thanks for being here. It was great. Absolutely, Kyle. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for coming. Definitely. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks uh, a lot. Awesome, Mark. So that, to me, again, not having gone through that process, the redistricting, not really understanding a lot about it. That was very interesting to me to hear kind of what the process was like, what the challenges were. You know, I, I yeah, I think this was an important show for listeners to be able to hear and understand and just, you know, kind of understand just the redistricting process in and of itself. You know, we only talked about it from a, a county commissioner perspective, but, you know, this happens every time we have a sentence census uh, with congressional districts, with state legislative districts. You know, in fact, in the the last sentence, uh, census, I keep saying sentence. I guess there's some sort of <laughs> Freudian slip there. But um, but in the last census, you know, we actually got another congressional district in Colorado because our population ha has gone up so much. And so I think it's pretty important for folks to understand, you know, how they can best exercise their voice, have their voice heard when it comes to being able to petition local government to, you know, get the things done that they want done in their community. Yeah, I agree. No, it was very interesting. Glad he could join us. And uh, it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of cycles if it has an impact on the makeup of the commission. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what a great guy, great guest, and an overall great show. And if you happen to see Steve out on the street, please refer to him as Ike. That's what he prefers. <laughs> Good. So as we finish up the day, just going to check in and see any any issues this week that – you know, Kyle, lots of rants all of the time. You know, I am turning into my grandfather, right? Because number one, uh, I can't get enough of uh, World War II documentaries, which, you know, Steve spoke to my I'm, inner old guy I'm here. I'm reading a World War II book right now. Yeah. And two, I, I can't yell at the TV enough when I'm watching 
cable news. <laughs> um, and I, I think recently, you know, I've been watching a lot of stuff related to this Trump indictment, um, his fourth indictment, uh, you know, four different cases in, in different areas. And, you know, all my Democrat friends keep texting me, you know, telling me, you know, you know, what a horrible guy he is and that he needs to be convicted. And, you know, my Republican friends are texting me. I can't believe that uh, the Democrats are doing this to him. And, you know, I've talked a lot about the weaponization of the criminal justice system, and I hate that. And I've come to the conclusion, I think two things can be true at the same time. You know, one, I think the Democrats can be using this as a, a weapon to weaponize the uh, criminal justice system for political gain. But two, I also think that, you know, the former president has done himself no favors. But I think ultimately what's going to happen here and what concerns me the most about all of this, and I don't understand why people can't see this, four separate criminal t cases. My guess is that he's going to be um, convicted in some of those cases and acquitted in others, which I think at the end of the day is the absolute worst possible result that could come uh, for our country, for the stability of our country as a whole. Because, you know, he becomes convicted of some of these, then all of my friends on the Democratic side are, look, we were right, we were right, we were right. And if he becomes acquitted of others, you have all of my Republican friends saying, we were right, we were right, we were right. So it seems to me that as these cases have gone forward, we are setting ourselves up as a nation 100% completely to fail regarding this circumstance and this situation. And I totally, I completely understand everything you're saying. That's my, a first. Uh, my, my flip side of that is if there was criminal behavior and you don't prosecute him, what kind of a precedent does that set for future presidents to be able to run rampant? Well, it, it depends on how you look at all of this, right? Um, you know, the, the classified dives, I was having a discussion with uh, a, another attorney about this and somebody who'd been in the military and had experienced, um, you know, people who had misused classified documents. You know, I'd seen that over my time as an attorney in the military. And there's, you know, one thing you don't do is misuse classified documents, right? Uh, whether you intend to do it, unintentionally do it, whatever, there's no sort of criminal intent that goes along with that. It's a um, a specific intent crime. There, there's, there's, no, there's not an intent element related to it. If you do it, you're guilty. Um, and so we could take a really hard line and prosecute all of those cases. But then guess what? We have a current sitting president who, when he was vice president, obviously unintentionally, intentionally doesn't matter, also mishandled classified documents. So if Trump becomes convicted in that, are we going to go back through history? And, um, you know, look at every presidential library to determine, you know, if there are classified documents that are that somehow ended up in those boxes and then prosecute them. I mean, there's a lot of discretion in the criminal justice system to determine when somebody should be charged with a crime and when they shouldn't. And obviously, you know, somebody commits a criminal act, they assault somebody, they, you know, get caught drinking and driving. Those cases definitely need to be prosecuted. Um, but it, it comes down to how are we using the criminal justice system here? Are we using it to make our community safer, which is what the criminal justice system is supposed to be about? Or are we using it for political retribution, which it should never, not even one time, ever be about? Okay. Thanks.
<laughs> Appreciate it. Well, it's and, and uh, I'm sure this this will keep coming back up as these cases move forward and other things pop up. So no, I think it's a good topic and. I'm looking forward to discussing it further. You know, and, and, and believe me, I'm, I'm, I'm not defending the former president at all. In fact, you know, I've kind of said, um, you know, of the possible outcomes here, the worst is he becomes convicted of some yeah. and um, is acquitted of others. I think the nation is better as a whole if he's either convicted of all of them or acquitted of, of all, all of them. them. Um, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm making no legal judgment at all here. I haven't seen the facts of these cases. I don't know what the evidence is going to be that's being presented, which, by the way, is another pet peeve of mine. How many people have determined innocence and guilt here when we haven't had a trial yet? The evidence hasn't been presented, um, which actually uh, has... Uh, I've always been frustrated uh, with people that do that, especially with the advent of social media. I, I saw this coffee mug the other day, and I cannot wait to find this and purchase it. And this, this coffee mug says, um, please don't confuse your Google search for my law degree. Uh, I cannot wait to have that. Uh, but but I think a lot of people do that in this circumstance. You know, they, they based on what they read in their echo chamber, in, the, yeah. uh, in their environments, determine innocence or guilt before... This stuff is ever put on trial, which the criminal justice system says you can't do. You got to consider everything. You can't have made up your mind before you go into the trial. You got to consider all the evidence. And that's something that we're not doing. I think that's a good reminder. Yeah, I think that happens a lot. Sorry you asked that question now, huh, Kyle? <laughs> no, nope, not at all. Just uh, another interesting episode. Thanks. All right. Thank you for listening to We Have Issues. I'm Kyle. And I'm Mark, and boy, you're right, we have issues. Tune in next week for even more.